Looking to step up your Mother's Day flowers? The Home Depot has an idea. Let Mom's Green Thumb do some digging with colorful flowers, pots, and premium soils to bring out the most in her patios, walkways, and gardens. Right now, get Vigoro Potting Soil just $8.97 for strong, healthy, vibrant plants, indoors and outside. Shop our wide selection online and pick up your order in-store and give Mom the gift of a beautiful garden. Get Vigoro Potting Soil just $8.97 at the Home Depot. How doers get more done. See homedepot.com slash delivery for details. Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939. Hello there, and welcome to the Roto World Fantasy Baseball Podcast. I am Colin Henderson. Joining me today, as always, is Chris Crawford. The fantasy football season is over, Chris. Any titles on your end? I won a best ball league that was a a, a moderate of uh, money heading my way, but I finished second in, in one of my longtime leagues and finished fourth, which finishing fourth in fantasy football is just the worst because yeah. it almost always means that you're not getting anything back. And uh, that's my that's the league I care the most about. Uh, how about yourself? Did you take anything home? Nothing home this year. Honestly, I've been on a – I have a tremendous, like, Buffalo Bills-esque streak in me where I do really <laughs> well in the regular season. I just uh, – you know, like 90s Buffalo Bills. I crush in the regular season. But for whatever reason, my team just – shutters as soon as the playoff lights turn on i have made i think in the last three years i play in i think the last couple of years if i did the math correctly uh what 9 13 i've had 13 leagues in the last three years i've made the playoffs in a 12 of them 11 or 12 of them no titles and yes. you you play that many winning lottery tickets like you expect yeah. to hit the jackpot at some point here but for Damn. whatever reason it has not worked out for me, and once again this year, uh, four out of five teams make the postseason, and one finals appearance, and I didn't win that one. So oh, brutal. You didn't have to go up against Alvin Kamara in that finale. Did I did you? not. That, that is that. Yeah. That might be the only saving grace. Although you know what, <laughs> a couple years ago, if I'm remembering, about three years ago, was when Todd Gurley did that in Week 16. He oh, had like yeah. an early game four touchdown. We were like, oh, cool. So I guess this yeah. is over before it even begins. <laughs> and the yeah, only good part about that is at least it just takes away any anticipation for a victory because you're like, oh, cool, it's over. Yeah, yeah, that is that is one nice thing. It's like when you know you're out of it, it's, it's so much more comfortable uh, to watch. I do know somebody who had uh, Todd Gurley, or excuse me, uh, Alvin Kamara, Mike Evans, and Tom Brady this weekend and didn't win their fantasy championship, which is... Did they not play anybody else in any other positions? They just, they had some real, real bad decisions. They play, they ended up playing uh, the Texans defense, which was a nice negative 10 for him, which did not <laughs> yeah, That'll do it. Um, uh, and then uh, just the, the other team, you know, had some other good performances. But those are, 
three guys, I think they combined for it, a standard PPR league, close to 100 points. I was going to say, that's, yeah. that's basically um, the goal yeah. right there. Exactly. Three people. So, yeah, they, that person was not happy and will be uh, made fun of quite a bit over the next six months. But uh, <laughs> but yeah, it was, I, fantasy football is so much fun, and uh, I, I'm excited that in uh, just about – three to five months, give or take. We'll see when the season starts. We'll get to start talking about some uh, fantasy baseball results. Yeah, it'll be nice to finally get deep into that because this is right around that time of year where I'm cursing and just wondering why I even play fantasy. You know, that moment where you're just like, <laughs> yeah, Dude, why, sure. am I, why do I even do this? I just put myself through the stress every week and stare at the same 12 names on a screen for – 13 straight weeks, and here I go and get nothing out of it. This is That's the part where I'm at right now. And then, you know, then we get the cold winter months of me just playing some fantasy basketball, which I like, but it's just more of a time filler for me. Right. And then and then all of a sudden I get my I get amped up again when spring training starts for uh, for baseball. Same here. Same here. I've been, I've been there many a time. Well, for loyal listeners of this podcast, uh, you know there hasn't been a lot going on. We've been we've been struggling to to fill to fill time in these podcasts with D and E list players making moves. Hey, watch out for this sa- this this uh, potential uh, holds category winner for you here. Uh, <laughs> instead, AJ Preller gave us a little Christmas gift this year because he actually gave us plenty to talk about. The man who stole the headlines at the trade deadline in this past year, moving from Mike Clevenger, just to highlight about seven other moves that he made for a suddenly win-now Padres team, he decided to keep it going in the offseason because he just added two Cy Young winners. Well, I should say Darvish was second on that list, but adding Blake Snell and you, Darvish, to an already loaded roster, an already loaded starting rotation, Go Padres. I am all aboard the San Diego train this year. Let's start with the Blake Snell trade because that one came down first. Blake Snell moves to the Padres in a five-player deal. San Diego obviously gets Blake Snell. And the Rays get Luis Patino, uh, right-handed pitcher Cole Wilcox, catcher Francisco Mejia, and catcher Blake Hunt. So, I mean, a lot to start with on this one, but we have to obviously go with what does this mean for Blake Snell's fantasy prospects for the 2021 season? That is, I mean, this is a huge deal for the Padres. I, I love this for Snell. Um, I, there are question marks about him facing the order a third time through, and there are certainly issues with his command. He's, he's going to have to throw more efficient strikes if he's going to be an elite starting pitcher. But it's never been a question about stuff. He's still young. Uh, I was so impressed with what he did in the postseason. You know, unfortunately, the, the the lasting image, unfortunately, of Blake Snell is going to be him being pulled from a start that he was absolutely dominant in. And we use that word too much, but he was dominating that start before he left in five and a third innings. Um, I love this. I He's playing behind a great lineup. He's going to get plenty of win chances. It's looking more and more likely like he's not going to have to face a designated hitter, which is an an extra three outs for your starts. It's not, it, it certainly adds up. I love this. And I think that uh, 
it makes the Padres better, and I think it makes Blake Snell a better fantasy option for 2021. I completely agree with you on Blake Snell's fantasy output in 2021. You mentioned the Rays' hesitation of letting him see a lineup for the third time. He pitched 19 times last year and failed from regular season and postseason and did not complete six innings ever the entire season. So you have to assume that knowing, seeing how the Padres used Davies and LeMay Lamet last year and let them run right. deeper into the games, you have to assume they will do that with Blake Snell. And that only adds to his fantasy value. If he was valuable before when he's only facing five and a third inning, you know, only getting through five and a third, his right. value only increases if he can suddenly get six and a third, six and two thirds, seven innings. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, now, obviously there's the caveat here. The caveat here is that there's a reason why the Rays didn't, always tend to pull Snell early. And that's because his batting average against in the third time through the lineup is just bad. It's right now, of course it added, we got to add zero pieces of data to that stats last year, since we (laughs) never saw him pitch into the seventh inning, but we need to see what he's going to be like. Can he, you know, continue his command? Can he maintain his stuff? further into games, he certainly has games where he's going to be locked in and he's going to crush. The question is, and I think this has been for people who have followed Snell, for friends of mine who are Tampa Bay fans, they know that there is just that problem. If he's not on in a given game, he sometimes struggles to just work through innings. And that is something that the Padres are going to need to kind of break out from him I think him being unchained, at least in relative to his workload in Tampa Bay, I think hopefully should benefit him that much more to give him the confidence to say, hey, I'm going out there and I'm going to pitch as long as humanly possible before they take that ball out of my hand, rather than saying, hey, I've got 15 outs and that's all I've got. Yeah, that, I mean, he's certainly going to be motivated this spring, I think, and and. It's tough to quantify that. It's tough to prove that that will uh, mean anything. But I, I definitely don't think it's a question of whether or not his arsenal can work a third time through an order. And, you know, hopefully it does because, you know, there are very few innings eaters. But even if he is that only that guy who's going five innings, six innings, as long as he's qualifying for the for that chance for a win. And again, I hate that stat for fantasy so, so much. But as long as he's getting that chance, and he should get plenty with the Padres um, for a lot of reasons. This is a a very, very good baseball team, and we'll talk about uh, how much better they got uh, just in the span of 12 hours or so. But he's going to get those chances for wins, and he's going to put up good strikeout totals. I still like that park. It, it's not as pitcher-friendly as it used to be. Some of that because there's actually good hitters playing in that park right now. But I really like this. It's it's a it's a really nice addition. Um, I I just I, I think we do have to talk about how disappointing it is to see a team come off being two wins away from a World Series title, signing a pitcher to a more than fair contract. I, I mean, it's he would get substantially more than that on the free agent market if, if the free agent market ever moves. They, they, this was not a salary dump because of the players they got back, 
but it's still extremely disappointing to see a team give up on a player like Snell in order to get more. And I hate the term assets, but that's how they view these players is they view them as assets. It's really disappointing. And we'll talk about the other team that did the same thing in a little bit too. But it's, if I was a fan of the Tampa Bay Rays, I would be excited about the return a little bit because there's some really good players that we'll just, we'll talk about in one second as well. But it's, I would be extremely disappointed because uh, as my good friend Keith Law said in, in his write-up of the piece, this is untenable. This is untenable until the Rays either get a new stadium or move. Yeah. If we're looking at, and I, this was a stat that I was, I wanted to see what the Rays budget was moving forward here, just because I, I need to understand this move from a financial standpoint, because it's certainly not right. from an on-the-field standpoint. Blake right. Snell won a Cy Young just two years ago, looked mm-hmm. very good last year, still was striking out people at a great clip, gave up one hit the entire year on his slider. I mean, it, it was just that good. And his curveball got more than 50% whiff rate. So, like, wow. the stuff is really good. So it's certainly not an on-the-field issue. So financially, okay, let's go to the books. He's going to make – he'll make $11 million this upcoming year. $11 million for a guy at his caliber is chump change. It's just yeah. absolute chump change for what you're getting, especially the potential that you can get. Not There are not many Cy Young – winners or Cy Young potential winners out there that you can sign for $11 million. It just doesn't exist. But what is more fascinating, and this is truly as to harken back to, as you said, the Keith Law piece, which I read as well, that $11 million would have accounted for nearly 20% of the Rays' projected opening day roster. <laughs> oh my God. That's embarrassing. That's embarrassing for a professional team, for an owner who is a borderline billionaire to be crying poor and saying that we have to give up a guy who is making $11 million this year, who still has three years remaining on his contract, totaling $39 million, which by the way, Garrett Cole is going to get close to making just this year on his own. And all of that, like you said, two wins away from a World Series title, an American League pennant, and you move him for prospects like you're a team that is just at its, like you're the Red Sox who have been over the luxury tax for the last eight years, just just handing money out hand over fist. It, it just is such a bad look. If you're not trying to win games with cost-controlled talent, like exactly what Blake Snell is, then what are we doing? I'm sick of it. I'm really tired of seeing billionaires getting away with this. And we have such... Stockholm syndrome that we we basically it's it's just what they do it's 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 just the nature of the business it doesn't have to be that way and it's really frustrating if you were going to grade a winner and a loser in this trade the race may have won this trade but the optics of it and what this says about the game is just it's it's scary it's really scary to see well I think it makes it even more scary when we all have to sit here and we have to praise AJ Preller for trying to put together a competent product, yeah. you know, competent team on the field. Like he's doing, he's doing the thing where, you know, he's like trying to make the team better. And yeah. we have to, we have to talk about this as if he is some golden goose who has like a crazy <laughs> idea. Like he's right. Moneyball all over again. Like, Oh my, how did he do that? Like, no, he just 
had a great farm system, a stable of young talent, and he was able to go out there and move pieces. Right. And you know what? When if everybody else is going to sit on their hands, good to the Padres for actually going out there and saying, you know what, we're going to do something. Yeah, yeah, and uh, I guess this is as good a time as ever to go to go over the return because, because yeah, let's do it now. Uh, yeah, because the the Rays did do well here. I mean, there are some really good pieces heading over here. Luis Patino is the headliner to me, um, as as good as Francisco Mejia still could be. Um, but Patino has a chance. I mean, in terms of talent, he's as good as any pitching prospect in baseball, and that includes Mackenzie Gore, and that includes Casey Mize, and a few other guys. Um, it's just the, the the concern a little bit is, is the age and the and the size. Uh, there is a chance that he ends up a reliever, but this is a guy who throws in the high nineties, locates it without a. There's a very small amount of effort in his arm action. Uh, has a a real swing and miss breaking ball. Shows another breaking ball as well for uh, that's a little softer uh, that'll keep hitters off balance. Has a good changeup. Uh, everything that is is here for him to be an ace um, may take a couple of years. I could see him being a bulk reliever. I think uh, this year, you know how Tampa Bay loves to uh, have those openers and then those guys, but that would be a way to manage innings. But long term, I think this is a potential uh, ace. Uh, Francisco Mejia, switch hitting backstop, just has not hit yet. Um, I think he has a chance still to be a really nice catcher. He really just hasn't gotten that chance to play enough in order for me to give up on him. And I think the Rays may give him that chance this year. So that's, there's a lot to like there. Cole Wilcox was a contender to be a top 10 pick this year, um, but just had some inconsistent results and some pitchers uh, performed better, even in the shortened uh, season, you know, the results were kind of off command his real issues but this is a guy who can touch 100 miles per hour and shows a a real swinging miss curveball could see him being a future closer imagine the Rays will give him a chance to start and then Blake Hunt this is a a backstop who really impressed in the instructional league and that's becoming more and more of, of a popular thing because you're seeing top younger prospects go up against top younger prospects um a a second round pick borderline first round pick he was drafted in that CBA area Big time power, but the the re- reason to like him is for dynasty prospect uh, owner uh, players is that he's staying at catcher. He's a very good defensive catcher. So so the Rays did really well here in terms of what they got for Blake Snell. It's just that they really really didn't have to deal Blake Snell. Right. This wasn't a Francisco Lindor scenario where there's no way he's going to be a free agent at the end of the year, and we got to figure out a way of maximizing any type of return. He had right. three years on the contract there. Uh, yeah. When we talk about Luis Patino, that slider that he has just looks really good. It looks yeah. Syndergaard-esque good, and I am genuinely excited to see what he can do now that he's clearly going to have a lot of time in the majors. I I do have my suspicion, and this is because, unfortunately, as baseball fans, we now have to have this suspicion that sure. right now Patino had, does not have – he is still a rookie, which would imply that he could still be a prospect. There could still be some time service manipulation that goes on here. Oh, Tampa Bay could very easily could very easily make the claim, hey, 
we'd like to, you know, get him a little bit more seasoning in the minors and try and work stuff out. So we might not see from a fantasy perspective, Bettino might not be fantasy relevant to start off the year. He might be someone that we need to kind of keep an eye on and wait for the call up. Um, right. You talk about Francisco Mejia. Look, he's been, he was at one point a top prospect. He has been moved now twice in two different trades. This is now his, right. as you said, this is his third team from Cleveland to San Diego, now to Tampa Bay. He has never had an opportunity to truly get a chance behind the plate. That being said, he has not particularly earned it, like you alluded to, with his bat, which is supposedly his gift to the position because he's not a particularly great framer. This defense is a little questionable. He's supposed to be an offense-first catcher, and right now he's not bringing the offense. So... This will be a really interesting time. Tampa Bay's player development and scouting has always been very top-notch. I'm excited to see what they can do with a full season, a full spring training with Mejia, really competing with Mike Zunino, who they just re-signed, to be the starting catcher there, or at least they'll be a a pretty even timeshare. There's a lot to like here. We just need to see that offense start to hit. But you know what? If the Tampa Bay can figure out whatever is lacking right now in Mejia's plate discipline, his approach in the box. Well, you know what? This might be a guy at a very thin position. Mejia could very well be a guy we're talking about next June, July, August as someone who could be a real valuable pickup for the rest of the year. Yeah. At the very least, I think his value took a very nice uh, tick up because I do think that the opportunity is there. The The Padres were going to play Austin Ola. They just gave up a lot of prospects to get Austin Ola and also some decent relievers. But that trade was about uh, Austin Ola. So, so he was going to be the backstop. Um, I, I really think Zanino, you know, his contract kind of suggests to me that he is more defensive backup than he is starter. I, I do think he is going to get a chance. I do think, you know, when, when he – he was a legitimate top 10 prospect. And now the same thing could be said about Zanino for a very short time. Uh, he was pretty close to that range as well. Uh, prospects fail. It, it, I hate it, but it, it does happen. But I, I still really believe in Mejia's bat. He's going to be 25 all of the next season. So it, there's there's plenty of time for him to develop. Um, be more of a two-catcher target for me than a guy that I would want starting behind the plate Uh at least to begin the year. But if you're somebody who play, has a, a catcher on his bench, um, he would be a guy I would definitely look at because you can find somebody uh, to to cut uh, or to add as that backup backstop uh, on your fantasy roster. But the chances of uh, you getting Mejia if he hits to his potential are, are much slower. So I'd rather be too... I'd rather be too early than too late with Mejia. Let's flip over to the other major trade here um, with the Padres as they also acquire you Darvish coming off just a stellar 2020 season with the Cubs and his reward is to get shipped out to San Diego. So congratulations, you <laughs> Darvish. Darvish goes to the Padres along with his personal catcher, Victor Caratini and cash considerations. Meanwhile, the Cubs receive Zach Davies, and I'm going to say this, and you tell me if I'm wrong, a bunch of uh, okay prospects. 
Oh, yeah. like, okay. And I emphasize the word okay because not a lot of top-notch talent coming over here as Owen Cassie might be the headliner here, a big Canadian bat um, that looks like he has a lot of power potential to take over a corner outfield spot at some point. Coming along with him also outfielder Ishmael Mena, shortstop Reginald Preciado, and shortstop Yelson Santana. I think I got that first name right. So that's, I mean, and, and Zach Davies again being the the actual major league ready player coming over in the deal. Before we get on a 10-minute rant about the Cubs, because it's coming. I know I we didn't even have to talk about a pre-show. I know it's coming. It's coming on my end. It's coming on yours. But let's talk about Darvish from a fantasy perspective in 2021, now in his new home. That's great. I, I mean, everything you say about Blake Snell, except Amplified. I mean, this is a huge get. And this is, I think people forget too that not only was you Darvish just awesome last year, 2.01 ERA, 93-14 strikeout to walk ratio in just 76 innings, uh, a whip below uh, one. A All of the metrics suggested that he was as good as any starter, maybe sans Trevor Bauer in the National League and uh, Shane Bieber in the American League. But it's not just that he was really good in that small sample. He was great last year in the second half of the season. Maybe the best pitcher in baseball in the second half of last season. So... And it's never been a question about stuff with Darvish. The, the, I, I guess the question mark here is um, a little bit health. He, he has two seasons since 2012 where he's made over 30 starts. And some of that last year, last year he obviously would have made over 30 starts, assuming he wouldn't have gotten hurt. Um, but it just wasn't possible. They, they, you can't pitch him every other game. So that would have been uh, very interesting to see, but that's just not going to happen. But as long as he is healthy and on the mound, he is really, really, really good. Obvious point is obvious here, but I think people maybe sleep on just how dominant he's been over the last year and a half. Um, he's my number one starter for the Padres. And all due respect to Blake Snell and Denelson Lamette, who was just awesome, and Chris Paddock, who was pretty darn shaky last year, but still shows flashes of being a very, very good starter, but you Darvish is my one, one. And that is a heck of a one, one hat to have. That is a, a legitimate, we, we, when we talk about top of the rotation starter and ACE, this is an ACE. Blake Snell is closer to a top of the rotation starter to me than an ACE. Very good. And as good as anybody in 2018, but this is a legitimate ACE and a, a fantasy starter that I think will be a top five, top six guy again in 2021. And that might be an understatement. I couldn't agree with you more here. And I've, and I've banged the U Darvish drum for quite a while. And it's, and I was, and I was, uh, I felt very lonely for a couple years as he went <laughs> to the Dodgers. Then he had his early start with Chicago and I kept banging the drum and no one was nodding their heads along with me. But as you said, since the middle of 2019, I mean, he has just been, one of, if not just the best starter that has been out there. I mean, no disrespect to DeGrom or to Cole or to Scherzer or anybody else, but in his last 26 starts, he has held opponents to two runs or fewer in 17 of them. He just doesn't give up runs. And as you mentioned, his, his K walk ratio is just 
it's David Wellsian, as I like to write because I think Wells went in. I think David Wells went an entire year with like twelve walks. Like I just he is his command is so good, and he's got about eight pitches in that arsenal that he'll just randomly throw out at any point just to keep right. hitters guessing. In in a fantasy standpoint, I mean, obviously, he had a a. He had a Cy Young caliber year last year, and that was without the offensive production that he should have been getting from the offense behind him. This year, you got to assume this year going to just a loaded Padres offensive roster, again, going to have plenty of opportunities for wins. Unlike Blake Snell, we don't really question his length into games. He is good to go. He can take over a game real quickly, and you're not going to take that ball out of his hand until the eighth inning. So you have no real question there. You mentioned health. Health is absolutely a concern. He is 34. It's going to, you know, at some point, his skills are going to start to diminish, but he's got three years left on his contract. And if you told me that he is, you know, just wildly productive, top of the rotation kind of guy for at least two of those years, that makes this trade 100% worth it. He is going to be... He is under contract, like I said, three more years. He's going to be paid just shy of $60 million. He's going to make $22 million next year. I mean, that's honestly, I and I know you've got to be, you got to do some compare and contrast and uh, the juxtaposition, but in baseball terms, I think that's a bargain. I mean, he's as good a starter right now as anybody, and I love that that situation that he's going to be in with San Diego. I mean, we, I've said it before, but and the same things with Snell. It's just that lineup is so good and the, it should be a quality defense behind him. And he doesn't really need a quality defense behind him because he misses so many bats. So as long as that keeps going and there was absolutely nothing that we saw from Darvish last year to suggest it won't, um, I think that this is going to be a, a real – I mean, it's just like to use another sport. It's a slam dunk trade. This was super easy. Uh, I'll just talk about the prospects real quick because Please. there's uh, there's a lot of interesting players heading over here, but it's real far away. It, it's basically, I believe, a large percentage of the prospects heading over are still teenagers. Um, the one that's the best to me is Preciado, uh, a shortstop that uh, may be the best prospect to come out of Panama since a certain reliever um, that uh, some people will uh, will know a little bit about. This guy is really, really talented. Uh, was given a, a good size bonus, uh, a shortstop that has five tools. The issue is, I mean, we're talking about 2023 and 2024 at best. There's a very good chance we don't see him until the middle part of the decade. Um, you know, Santana is a, a solid defender who's starting to put some power together. Um Chasey is a outfielder from Canada that um, has some big time power. He kind of reminds me of Tyler O'Neill as a prospect a little bit, and that's yeah. an easy comp because of where they're from. Uh, he's not built like a. Uh, you ever see those uh, t- uh, kid bodybuilders that just freak the heck out of you? That's what yes. Tyler O'Neill looked like as a prospect. It was unnatural how strong that guy was. Uh, thankfully, he's grown into his body a little bit, but and still a pretty strong guy. But but that's what type of uh, prospects you're dealing with there. And um, and then the the one that might be the most interesting uh, from a fantasy perspective is outfielder Mila. This is a plus-plus runner, and that 70 speed on the 2080 scouting scale 
uh, has some work to do with the bat, but uh, a potential to steal a lot of bases. These are all very talented guys. And in fact, uh, three of those players ended up in my top 10 after the Blake Snell trade. Uh, and then immediately had to be removed because they're uh, heading over to the Cubs. That's uh, for the top 10s. You'll see those in our draft guide. Please uh, pre-order that as soon as possible. Um, this is, it's, it's a, t- in terms of trades, they're getting a bunch of lottery tickets, but there's very, 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 an extremely high amount of volatility with this group because none of these guys have played uh, anywhere close to full season baseball yet. So I, I, it's, it's tough for me to call this anything but a salary dump. I, I, I like the prospects, um, but they basically salary dumped you Darvish and that's extremely disappointing. And I'll let you, I took up too much time last time talking about it. I'll let you take up some time with this one. I'm happy to take that hand off. Uh, yeah. So, yeah, it's a salary dump. It's a it's the definition of. I mean, he, yeah, sure. I bought four lottery tickets, and cool. Talk to me in 2026 and tell me if any of them hit. But for a team that won the title, uh, that won the division last year, that right. still boasts a a core that was just a few years removed from a world series title that still has a lot of talent on the roster for them to be basically claiming poor and saying that not only do we need to move you Darvish, which is already controversial to begin with, but we need to move him now when he's got three years left on his contract and we need to move him for what clearly cannot be the best possible offer that you could have got for him. Like this can't possibly be the best return that you could have gotten for a guy who was just second in NL Cy Young voting. For them to have made this move now, it confuses me on a couple different standpoints. The first one being, why now? Why not wait another month? Why not see if a pitcher gets injured? Why not see if a team gets a little more desperate? Why not see if uh, a team's rival just went out and made the big splash and now a team feels a little more desperate to make a move? Why now? I mean, if you're going to go for four lottery tickets, why why not find one with a better chance of paying off? Why not find one who's already grown into their body, who already projects at a, you feel at least more confident about the projection of where they're going? This just felt like a salary dump for salary dump purposes. Like there was a deadline that I'm unaware of out there that they had to get this done by. That's what I think is the most confusing part for me. And when I've spoken to other you know, Cubs fans and other people out there since this trade has gone down, that seems to be outside of the initial, I cannot believe that we just moved you Darvish. We still have a chance of making a postseason. And when you make the postseason, you have as good a chance as any to make it to the world series and clinch it. But once you get past that was, but why now, why are we doing this now? Why are we doing this for the return that we got? You just saw, I mean, we, we look at the Blake Snell trade that happened just what 24 hours prior. Blake right. Snell got a better re- the Tampa Bay got a better return than the Cubs did. Yeah. For a pitcher right. that you and I both agree is not you Darvish's level. So no. why? I do this is the part that baffles me and I don't understand it. And, the, and see the thing is is that I I kind of understand it because of it's because of the cost control and it's the fact that 
Yu Darvish is paid significantly more and is close to 10 years older. So, so that's the logic behind that a little bit, I guess. But what bothers me is that this is the Cubs. They play in the third largest market in the country and they are crying poor. And the thing that really bugged me and it, it, we don't know what it is yet, but the, all of these reports suggest that the Cubs are sending money with Darvish. Yeah. That's Cash consideration, yes. They're, that is nonsense. It is absolutely insane that the Padres are giving up a bunch of lottery tickets that, you know, you can replenish that. You, you're a strong IFA market in 2021 or 2022 away from adding similar types of talents. I, I just don't get it from that perspective. Uh, real quick, uh, we didn't touch on Davies. I, I do like Davies. It was really good last year. 2.73 yes. ERA, uh, 63-19K uh, K to base on ball ratio is solid, a 216 average against. He was pretty darn good last year, and he was good for, the pod, uh, for Milwaukee the year before, before heading over in that uh, basically challenge trade uh, for Trent Grisham and Luis Urias. Um, I, I like Davies. I will say that I, I I really have some concerns about him being able to miss bats going forward. Um, should pitch at near the top of that Chicago rotation now, so that, so that helps. But still a guy that I'm probably using a late-round pick on rather than uh, using him as an established starter. Uh, and then real quick on Caratini, too. Uh, I think that's a nice little get. Uh, yeah. One, the personal catcher for uh, for Darvish. That's a nice thing to get. And he's shown some offensive potential. Struggled with the bat last year, but I'm not counting a lot about last year, for especially for young hitters. There was just such a short ramp up and didn't get enough of a sample size. More than held his own when he got a chance to play in 2019. Uh, this is a nice little, if Austin Nola fails with the bat or if there's an injury. He's basically the Mejia replacement. He doesn't have near Mejia's talent, but he is a solid option that if there was an injury to Nola and he became the everyday catcher, he'd be someone I'd be looking to add to a fantasy roster. Couldn't agree with you more. And I was about to bring up Caratini because this, nice. uh, this of all the parts of this trade that don't make sense, the Caratini throw-in actually to me might make the least amount of sense. <laughs> like what, Cubs, why are you actively helping out the Padres here in this conversation? Like it's the Padres, point. if you told me that the deal was was Darvish for those four people, that's already bad. Now you're going to throw in, oh, by the way, let's make sure he's comfortable while he's there. I don't get the move <laughs> whatsoever. Caratini, you mentioned in 2019, was hitting so well that they need to find ways of getting him into the lineup. Like they, he, you know, he does not, He's not a defense first catcher the way that you would think for any type of personal catcher out there. Like he has a bat in his hand and yeah. for him to also go over there in that trade to be the Mejia replacement, which is ideal for San Diego. One, far more of a known commodity behind the plate and two, a more defensive first guy who can just be a rock back there rather than someone you're still hoping grows into his potential for a win-now team. That's perfect. So the Caratini part just doesn't make any sense to me whatsoever. Just what a gift to San Diego to do it. Side note, as you mentioned, the Cubs 
playing in the third biggest media market. You know what San Diego is? Not third. <laughs> it's not. You know, I, I'll keep guessing because it's high up there. 29th. It is sandwiched. Yeah. I had to look it up. It is sandwiched between Nashville and Salt Lake City. Man, it's just frustrating. And I shout out to the Padres and thank you, Padres, for making this offseason interesting. We still have one more move that we need to talk about that they made. Um, but thank you. <laughs> I, 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 all you're doing is what you're supposed to be doing. But at this point, we, we have to give that plot. It's, and as sad as that is, thank you very much. Uh, let's flip, let's knock out the third of the Padres signings as we continue on our Padres podcast. The, uh, the, <laughs> no, Padres, at yeah. some point syndicate us San Diego. Like we just basically turned into a Padres podcast here. There has to be a podcast called Padres cast, right? Like there's no way that there isn't a, a Padres cast. If like, there isn't, it seems criminally like criminal oversight. If it isn't. I don't know if I legally can start another podcast, but I'm willing to sell the name. Uh, I'll get that license device. Yeah, you just buy the donate by the domain name. You can just sell it off afterwards. <laughs> that sounds good to me. Let's knock the third of the Padre signings, and this one they go international for it. Padre signed Korean free agent infielder Ha Seong Kim. I'm gonna I'm gonna try that one right. Ha Seong Kim. Sounds right to me. All right, if it sounds right to you, it sounds right to me. Uh, the contract, he's 25 years old. Uh, contract is expected to fall in the high 20 millions over a four or five year deal. I haven't seen official numbers just yet, but that's about the ballpark that it's going to be. Um, he's played seven years of professional ball in Korea and by all metrics, by the scouts who have seen him, many say that he is a basically an above average infielder in in major league terms so a very nice signing for the Padres here a career 294 373 493 hitter 133 homers and 134 stolen bases over his seven years that's approximately 19 home runs and 19 stolen bases a year Um, and he's expected to be in the starting contention for a second baseman job so from a fantasy perspective, and again, you and I, at least I can't say I've been to Korea recently, and I assume you haven't. I know you're on the West Coast, so maybe you just quickly vacation over there in Korea, <laughs> watch a couple of games, come back. I don't know how you West Coasters do it. But you're talking about a second baseman for the Padres who will have plenty of opportunity. If he can be the starter there, should have plenty of opportunities to hit and then get driven in because of just how strong that offense is around them. Uh, and for teams, especially those in Rotos who still use stolen bases, he looks like he's going to be a guy who has at least going to be nimble around the base paths. So when we talk about a second base position and you and I have discussed it briefly, I know DJ and Drew have discussed it in their pods really outside of Ozzy Albies, there's kind of a drop in terms of who exactly is the next second baseman. There's there's some tiers there. Um, Kim could potentially be an intriguing fantasy piece come next year. If you're going to tell me a second baseman, a starter for the Padres who can move around the bases, who has some pop in, you know, 20 home run pop in his bat, that's a worthwhile player to at least keep an eye on in the fantasy perspective. 
Yeah, I really like Kim. Now, I have to admit that my viewings of Kim have all been at 1.30 in the morning watching television. Um, so was so thankful that those games were on TV uh, while we were waiting for the season to start because it, it, it basically kept me sane to actually see some baseball on my TV. Uh, probably kept me a little insane, too, because I was up so late. But it, it, he really impressed me. Uh, he definitely has a swing that I think suggests that he can hit for a decent average. I'm a little questionable about the power. He had 30 home runs last year. Not so sure that's going to be a number that he comes close to approaching. Uh, but a really smart baseball player from from everything I've heard from folks and also just watching him. Gets really good jumps on the bases. He stole uh, 23 bases in 25 attempts last year. Stole 33 bases in 37 attempts the year before. I like that San Diego's a nice fit. There were a lot of rumors about him going to the Blue Jays, which would have been a really odd fit, I think. Um, but I think he makes sense in San Diego because I think uh, second base is his probably his best position. The one thing I'll say that's a little disappointing is I'm wondering what this means for Jake Cronenworth. I thought he was really good last year. In fact, in our draft, I drafted him to be my starting second baseman. Um, I'm wondering if maybe they use him as more of a, and this is lazy, I know, but as a Ben Zobris type, because I think he can play a little bit all over the field. I think the same could be true for Kim as well. I could see him getting maybe some looks in the outfield. He's played mostly shortstop and third base. They have um, a couple of decent players at those positions. You yeah, relatively. Uh, yeah, relatively. Um, but I, I like him. The, the, the question mark is going to be how he's going to handle velocity because he just hasn't seen it in the KBO there is not it's not exactly it's not facing 80 or 85 but he's not facing the 95 100 that he's going to be facing uh going forward so so there'll be an adjustment period I will say that in our in our magazine draft he was a mid-round pick and that was before we knew where he was going uh I I would be willing to use a draft pick on Kim it's very very risky I not I won't even say risky it's just you have to be prepared to take some bitter with the better because I do think there'll be an adjustment period. Have to keep in mind that he's still 25 years old, so he's a young player. Um, a must-get for me in a keeper league because the potential for a middle infielder who can hit for average, hit for power, and steal bases, you just don't see a lot of those. But this is another nice get. And uh, real quick to just on my uh, on my bar stool, um, it's ridiculous that he's only able to get in the high 20s uh, because his skill set suggests that he is worth substantially more. And I realize they created this rule because everyone is terrified of getting um, the the Daisuke Matsuzaka and I just forgot his name, but the, the left-hander for the Yankees. Yeah, Keigawa. Yeah, you kidding me? I still wake up in a cold sweat from that. <laughs> Everybody is terrified of getting that contract, even though these are billionaires and they can afford it and it didn't cost them anything, but they don't want that. It's, it's almost similar to like what the NFL did after Sam Bradford got his hundred million dollar deal yeah. and became the highest paid player in the sport. They, they just don't want to see those contracts, but it is ridiculous that a player of, of Kim's ilk is getting paid uh, a little bit more than uh, middle relief money to go be a, a starting infielder. That system's got to change.
especially considering it's a four or five year deal. Like, I mean, this isn't like a two year, okay, prove it. And now I can go make my money elsewhere. What, the other thing you have to keep in mind here is that Kim will sign for five years and then he'll have to do arbitration. Yeah. So this is not a, a, a case where he, uh, his five years, he's going to get to go prove it. No, he's going to have to spend at least one more year and maybe more if they send him down to the minors and do some sneaky, sneaky, it, that's not fair. I'm sorry. Go ahead. But I just want, wanted to point that out too, is that, that just like Otani will have probably arbitration stuff happen with him. Uh, this is just not a fair system. No, no arguments on this side of the mic. Uh, yeah. But like you said, when if we talk about Kim as a poor man's Trey Turner, you know, with someone who can help yeah. you across multiple categories and be a, and be a useful piece on it in your infield spot. That's someone you're absolutely going to keep him, keep an eye on. And again, we cannot stress enough. This Padres team going to be really good next year, going to be a ton of fun. If he can start 140 games for them next year, 130 games, this is, uh, this is someone you absolutely need to have on your fantasy radar. So sure. with that, let's quick, let's hit a quick promo here before we do. The all-new Roto-World Premium Subscription Packages have the tools and resources you need to dominate your fantasy leagues from drafts through playoffs. Best of all, subscriptions are not just one sport. They include football, baseball, basketball, and hockey. As a listener of the Roto-World Fantasy Baseball Podcast, get $10 off any annual subscription to Roto-World Premium. So to find your edge, visit rotoworld.com slash edge using the promo code BBPOD10 at checkout. That code again, BBPOD10. Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. I just did a hockey draft. Oh, did fun. you? I have. Yeah. I haven't played. Ho- I haven't played fantasy hockey in a while. I got. I. I just got way too deep into that, and I was like, I, I just way too much going on. That was like roto on crank because there was like nineteen different categories. I don't know what league you play in. I don't even know what the standard hockey league is. But this was like nineteen categories that you had to figure out, and it just became way too much for me. It's a lot. I'm trying to get more into it because I'm very, very excited for the Kraken to be joining the league in a year. You um, should. In fact, most of my most of my Christmas presents were uh, 
Kraken related. I got a bunch of shirts and I got some hats. I the logo is so good. Yeah, um, I'm a big it, fan. It's it's really it's really hard to uh, complain about that. And I actually think the the alternate logo with the space needle and the little uh, anchor on the bottom is the better looking logo. But the the normal one's great too. But uh, I'm trying to get more into this stuff so that I I know what I can talk about. Let's really quickly, let's run through two other deals that have occurred over the last week since we've done a pod. Let's start with the Nationals trading for Josh Bell, uh, the first baseman, former All-Star from 2019. Um, Just had a really bad, the same way we talk about you, Darvish, having a great second half of 2019 and just crushing 2020, the exact opposite of that for Josh Bell, as he had an just a unbelievable first half of 2019. And then since then has been a barely average first baseman, but the nationals looking to restart that career as they trade two of their pitching prospects to the pirates for him. They trade away. Will Crow and Eddie Yeen is it crow or crow. It's Crow, but it's I wasn't going to correct you. I know. Either. I was going to say, as I said, I was like, I'm almost <laughs> sure that's wrong. Crow is, and you can talk to him more, um, depending on what site you look at, the number two or number three prospect in a pretty weak national system. He made three starts last year in the majors. Meanwhile, Eddie Yeen is 19, so he's a few years away. But obviously, the centerpiece here is Bell. The Nationals did not have much production at first base last year. Some combination of Eric Thames and Esdrubal Cabrera was just not cutting it. So they're hoping Bell, they can buy low on Bell and try and turn him back into that early 2019 monster. Uh, His 2019 stats, 37 homers, 37 doubles in 143 games. Uh, career 261, 349, 466 hitter who's averaged 25 homers per 162 games. So power has never been an issue. It's just can he show the same plate discipline and stroke that he had for the first half of 2019 that just catapulted him to superstar status in Pittsburgh? Yeah, and I don't think we're going to see that version, but I think he's he's certainly better than what we saw last year. I think it was interesting. Uh, he talked about it in his press uh, uh, introductory that he really struggled with the fact that because of COVID-19 limitations that he did not get a chance to watch video. And this is a prospect, you know, this is a guy who walked um, a lot uh, over the last few years, 66, 77, 74 yeah. are his walk totals the previous three seasons. So this is a guy who does rely on getting a chance to, not only show off his hand-eye coordination, but study what happened in previous at-bats. I think that that is certainly something to keep an eye on. Um, my, my concern with Bell, really, though, is just that it's tough for me to see because of the length in his swing that he's ever going to hit for anywhere close to a 277 average again. Um, you know, Certainly, I think he's going to provide power. I think we're looking more at the hitter that we saw in 2017 – were 26 homers, 90 RBI, and an 800 OPS. That that would be my guess is what we're getting from Bell. Um, the two prospects, these are basically mid-rotation type arms. Yeen has a little more upside because of his age. 
um, but a lot of work to do and might be a reliever. Uh, they had ranked fourth and fifth in my top 10 list, but did not make my top 10 for the Pirates. The Nationals have very easily the worst system in baseball. Only one prospect made my top 100. So um, the fact that they were able to get a player with Bell's upside is pretty impressive, honestly, because there must have been something Pittsburgh saw that they liked in either Crow and Neen a lot because not a good system and a uh, system that obviously is worse now because it lost two of their top 10 prospects. But I like Bell still. I, I, he's more of a, uh, a bottom third um, first baseman for me, maybe top 15 at, at the very best. But uh, I think that there's just as much risk as there is with reward but worth the shot for the Nationals for sure, considering, like you said, all of the productions issues they had at the position. And one of the things that I think is going to help him out more is the fact that he's going to a better team that should be relevant and competitive, which is not something we tend to say when it comes to the Pittsburgh Pirates. So No chance for run production for sure. Right. So you assume that he's still going to be in the middle of a lineup that's still looking to replace Anthony Rendon and the the production that he kept giving them in that like three, four, five spot. So you assume Bell probably locks in somewhere around there should have plenty of opportunities. And like you said, I think there is a, there's something to be said about a change of a change of scenery. And I think that this could benefit him more NL only leagues. He's very interesting mixed leagues. I mean, in deeper mixed leagues, I think he's more, relevance in standard mixed leagues with his, I mean, he's power and walks and not a ton else. So it's, you know, it's not someone I'm, I'm reaching to go grab this change of scenery. Doesn't suddenly vaunt him into, you know, must have on my team status, but definitely someone that, Hey, look, if he starts off the season hot next year, we know what potential lies in under his batting helmet. So um, if he starts off, hot next year could be a guy that could be very valuable for you. If not for the rest of the season, at least for a decent stretch until he starts cooling off again. Let's flip over. And last move was actually, I think that just came out yesterday as the Phillies get a little bullpen help. Uh, Philly in a three team deal, Philly trades for reliever Jose Alvarado from Tampa Bay. Meanwhile, the Dodgers get right-handed pitcher Garrett Clevenger and Tampa Bay gets infielder Dylan Paulson and a player to be named later. Alvarado, he's only 25 years old. Look, we anybody who's watched the Phillies over the last couple of years knows that the number one issue with them has continually been relief help. They have just had his, just one of the worst bullpens by every statistical measurement over the last three years. Alvarado, while he's not going to change the game for them, is a low-risk, low-cost move for them. Had a 2.39 ERA in 70 appearances in 2018, striking out 80 in 64 of those innings. Um, However, in 2019, a 4.8 ERA only made nine appearances for Tampa Bay in 2020 due to injury. So there is some question marks there, but when he's been healthy, he's looked good. High nineties fastball. You like his stuff. Not to mention on top of that for a team that we expect to be still very, you know, still pretty good offensively. Still has some good pitching 
uh, good starting rotation pitching. Uh, he did pick up 15 saves across the 2018-2019 season. The closer role there is wide open in Philly, and he becomes the second most tenured reliever on the roster behind Hector Neris. So we could be potentially talking about a Phillies closer. And if we're talking about a Phillies closer, he becomes a relevant fantasy closer. Right. It, it, if only because, like you said, the offense and, and a decent starting rotation, not a great starting rotation, but right. a decent starting rotation. Top heavy. Would give him, yes, absolutely. Would give him those those save chances. It's that Phillies bullpen. It was just so hard to watch. And it was really hard to watch for me as a Mariners fan because it gave me flashbacks to the mid-90s where the Mariners had about 20% of their core be Hall of Fame players, and it was basically ruined by an absolutely horrible, horrible bullpen. And Philadelphia wasn't going to win a World Series with a great uh, with a great bullpen, but they're a playoff team. If, if that bullpen was even competent last year, that's a playoff team and maybe does a little bit of damage because of uh, the top-heavy rotation and, and a good lineup. Um, you know, Alvarado certainly has the stuff to succeed. Um, I th- I like him better as kind of that uh, that guy who mostly is getting left-handers out, but that role doesn't really exist anymore with this three-out rule. Um, certainly could have some success. I-, I would say that from a fantasy perspective, you'd want to see him be named the closer before investing for sure. any type of draft pick or uh, salary cap moves on him. Um but, but if he does get the chance, there there are certainly worse. But, man, I don't even like thinking about that Philadelphia bullpen last year. I, I The Phillies are uh, – I, I have no fanhood whatsoever, but it, it really, really is uh, tough to see how many games they lost just because they couldn't hold late leads. It is a little funny, though, because Philadelphia fans are, are pretty funny. They are. And uh, even if they're yelling from outside the stadium and banging trash cans to make their names heard, they will still be there. Even if they can't have anyone who closes out a game. I will say if Philly fans should be, and I'm not going to say excited, but should be, you know, a little, a little perky is the fact that once again, Philly is relatively cash cash strapped. I say relatively, but this move still, they're not spending money on the bullpen yet. And when they start to spend money on the bullpen, that means that they're out of the real Muto chase. So the fact that this trade goes down the way that it does, I think still very much leaves open the possibility of real Muto returning to the Phillies. The second they go out there and, and spend money on the bullpen is should be the, the headline. Okay. They're out of real Muto. So Philly fans can at least take that to the bank and say, okay, we're still in this fight. It'll be a long and slow and cold one, but it will be a fight that they're at least still technically in. Right. So that is our show for today. As always, thanks everyone for the listen. If you like what you're hearing, be sure to subscribe to the Roto World Fantasy Baseball Podcast wherever you listen to your podcasts. And if you listen on Apple Podcasts, please be sure to rate and review us. It's the last chance to give us those five stars in 2020, so get on them now. You can follow me on Twitter at Call Don't Lie, and you can follow Chris at Crawford underscore M-I-L-B. Our next episode will be next week with DJ and Drew, so be sure to check back then. So until next time, stay safe out there and have a happy New Year. Happy New Year, everybody. 
Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed, also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. 